0: Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. We're in James. Uh, We started it last week, um, and we're still in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 18 this week. Um, So James is... believed to be one of the earliest written of the letters, or one of the earliest written of the books in the New Testament. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he was gnarly. This is a gritty church that uh, went through a lot of persecution, and so you hear a little bit about that. That's why we, we've named the series Tried and True, uh, because it's, it is it uh, is the real deal. and And there's something about when you go through stuff, you find out the stuff that, is, that doesn't last and doesn't matter. It all kind of gets burned off. And what remains is what matters. And this church had a lot of that. Um, and it's mostly written to, we believe, to be Jewish believers. He's immediately referencing the 12 tribes that are scattered, um, scattered because of persecution. Uh, James himself was it became uh, a believer, seemingly, after Jesus rose from the dead. Um, as we referenced in 1 Corinthians 15, he was one of the ones that was visited by Jesus. Uh, and then he took on the church of Jerusalem and was uh, willing to be martyred. He was believed to have been th- thrown off of a building or off the temple um, and that didn't kill him and he was still praying for everyone and praying God would forgive him and then they they finished him there so uh, this is a, a a real deal guy uh, writing to us about real deal stuff and um, it's uh, a lot of times people don't like James because they think oh it's it's works-based. It's not works-based in the way of salvation, but it's works-based in the, in the way of a transformed life leads to a transformed actions. So, uh, so yeah, so there you go. A little quick recap. Uh, but let's stand. If you'd stand, we'll read, and then we'll pray. So starting at verse 9 of chapter 1. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls uh, and its beauty, beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, uh, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is. Every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, for your word that guides us into truth, that can encourage us and correct us and um, confront us. God, we thank you for your spirit that works on us, doesn't stop working on us, that you're, you're, you're leading us into truth and guiding us in that way, Lord. So help us to have lives that are surrendered, minds that are surrendered, hearts that are surrendered. And Lord, that we would walk in the wisdom that you set before us, the truths that you've um, given us as an anchor for our soul, like the hope that's found in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you go before us, Lord, and that you'd speak to us by your word, through your spirit. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Soften our hearts so that we can respond in the way that you see you want us to because you love us, you care about us, and you, you actually are the one that really wants to see us flourish. And, um, and you were created us for that. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Okay. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Lowly, um the idea is sometimes defined as poor, but really it's like person in a humble position. Um and this is this is it's been said, James is like a, a wisdom book in the New Testament. It's got a lot of Proverbs. It's got a lot of Sermon on the Mount too, which we're actually going to go into a little bit today. But there's a lot of wisdom here. This is the kind of stuff you hear throughout Psalms, throughout Proverbs, where um, God is confronting the status quo of the world that we live in. Like the things that we we see and, and the way that we value the things around us. He he confronts that. And uh, the, cra- the cool thing is he doesn't leave those truths without a witness. Like if we really look deeper into it, we actually see that this is true. Uh, so when he's talking about the person who's humbled or has a, has a lowly position, um, they're, they're never going to get credit in the world. They'll never be looked at highly. And James does, deals a lot with um, favoritism and weirdness in the church where you, they're like, look, you can add a lot of value. You can make our lives better. So we're going to exalt you. You're going to be whatever. You're, you're the one that you, you can be on the face of the brand, you know. Uh, but James is going to confront that and say that the things that you see and the things you value are much different than the way that God values them. So the message is actually uh, titled this morning, Deceptive Ideas, Destructive Behavior, and the Truth. And uh, we're gonna go through like, there's like three sections and look at how they all are uh, prone to deceptive ideas, which leads to destructive behavior, and then looking at that versus the truth. So uh, the lowly brother has been, a, uh, a brother obviously is a believer, Jewish believers, who have experienced probably financial hardship, which most of them had, and then also they were, Socially humiliated. Uh, could you imagine if all of a sudden you were just done? They were done with you. Uh, I have a friend who was a missionary in a Muslim country, and um, they had had believers. You know, people become believers out of Muslim families, and what that meant for them was that they no longer had the support of home. They were like dead to their families, and so the idea of coming to Christ was a really weighty decision. You know, maybe you've dealt with like, you, you've decided to follow Jesus and you tell your parents and they're like, "Why? religion's kinda dumb or whatever. That's not the same thing as you are now dead to us. Now imagine you live in a Eastern European country that is really, really poor and war-torn, and everyone has to live together to survive. You can imagine, this, this is a big deal. Uh, that was probably more similar to what was happening here in, you know, with these uh, Jewish believers. They were leaving behind their, their status, probably their riches, and they were following Christ even, even with persecution coming after them. And so he's encouraging them to what? To glory in, in, in this, in his exaltation to boast in your position. Usually boasting wouldn't be a good thing, but it's the idea is to like almost brag on or, or like, like be proud of uh, the fact that you are where you're at. Take pride in a position of humiliation that seems odd, but it shows a mind that values the right things. You're willing to be uh, abased in this world, to be knocked down in this world for the, what is to come. You're willing to suffer like things that are uncomfortable, not as as easy as you maybe would have wanted it to be. Why? For the things that are to come. It might seem odd, but it really shows value. This is not the end. This isn't it. It doesn't end here. Um, I remember growing up playing Little League. I I grew slowly. And there were so many kids that were just massive, 12-year-olds. And they would be hitting the ball over the fence because, you know, they're like, 5'10 and 180 pounds, and you're like, wow, I can't believe you could hit the ball 180 feet, you know? You're like, yeah, you're the size of a man, and I'm like a little kid. Well, a lot of them never even made it to high school. They never went any further beyond that, but the ones that continued to stick it out and work, even though "Ah, I didn't, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be as good as them. Well, in due time, they ended up passing them. So the things you see now may not be the things that you see later. It's building for something uh, longer. It's a long-term thing, and in a world where everything is like instant gratification, I wish my microwave was faster. You know, like there's an air fryer, but let's turn it up even higher. You know, uh, we have all the things that we could possibly need. I mean, we're we're new nu- we're nuclear, using nuclear reactions to cook our food fast. You know which is something to think, yeah, wow, okay, that's pretty wild. Um, you guys tell me the math. I'm, I mean, the, the science on it, I'm sure it's all good, but it's wild. Uh, and so he's telling them, like, look, guys, this may not be seen now, but trust me, trust me, it will be worth it in the end. And so you can take glory in knowing that while you're in pain now, there will be a really good end to this. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and this is not the Beatitudes five verse three and then after verse 11. So in verse three it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If, even if it means persecution, you can take joy in knowing that you are aligned with God and that he doesn't miss anything. And as we're gonna see, he is good and a giver of good gifts. So there's people in here who are struggling and feel persecuted. Can I encourage you, keep on going. The Lord sees. Verse 10, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Um, some believe that because it says, let the lowly brother, and doesn't say brother for the rich, it, it could be a thing where there's the lowly Christian and then the rich non-Christian. But the Bible all over the place warns us not of money, not of riches. It's not bad to make money. In fact, uh, well, we're giving the tax donations because people have been successful, <laughs> and, or whatever, they, enough to be able to give to the Lord, which is just a beautiful thing. Um, There's nothing wrong with that, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you're looking at money as your status and your value and who you are, that's a major, major issue. And riches can be an absolute snare. Why? Because it makes you think, I don't need God because I'm kind of set. And if plan A doesn't work, I actually have a plan B. And I have a plan C and a lot of other ones after that. Is it bad to plan ahead? No, but if you forget who God is, then this is not good. This is where riches become extremely deceptive. And you love them because that's where you find your security. That is not the place to be. So if you're the point is that if a rich man's glory is what he's built or acquired worth earthly wealth, it's gonna be gone. You have to ask yourself, what is your legacy? What does it matter in the end? Oh, that guy had a lot of money. Okay, cool, whatever. You know, there's a lot of people who did that, and they had terrible legacies. You guys know, you know, Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, Yeah, he didn't do so good. You know, but and no one was like, wow, he's got a lot of money. What a cool guy. You know, what's his legacy? Well, it changes, of course. But it's a real question. What? What do you? How do we build for the future? And what do we view as the future? And so that's why, as Christians, we have eternity in our hearts and in our minds. And we're we're looking beyond the world around us, and we're seeing, how do I build into a different type of kingdom? What do I want to be known for? What matters to me? These are all really, really good questions. Matthew 6, also in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this really ties it up. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be. Wherever you are most invested, you're going to find that, that is, that's the spot. That's the one. You know, you used to, used to um, come up to your friends. These are friends. This is a friend thing, right? And you'd see them standing there, and you'd notice that they are like this, right? And if I'm standing like this, you're like, okay, wh- which knee should I kick in to my friend, Right? Not the one that's bent and kind of like, you know, you know, you're going for the one where it's all there and you're going to risk an ACL tear to watch your friend dip, you know, straight down to the knees, you know, why? Because you go, well, that's where it's, that's where all the weight is. And so it's, it's, I can make you, I don't care how big you are, if all your weight is on that knee and I kick it hard enough forward, you're down. That's it, because you're wa- everything's weighted on this. And now it's all, the, uh, everything is, uh, your whole value is right there, and it's, it could be gone just like that. And so that they look at how, okay, r- right now, right? We just had a ton of rain. We're gonna get more next week. Who's the rain people? Who likes rain? Who's praying for rain right now? Okay, who's praying that the rain goes away? All right, so, you know, God doesn't answer all of our prayers uh, and we're all working on it anyway. But I like the rain, but I, I find out I don't like it that much. I like it for a little bit and then I'm, you know, I like, sun. come back, please. Um, but one of the cool things is when it rains a lot, you look around and, and Carlsbad can look like Ireland almost, you know, like Calavera. It's like, whoa, look at the green hills. It's so beautiful. And as soon as it gets hot, What happens? Oh, man, it, it turns into fuel, like right away. And we're like, what a beautiful, what a beautiful year of rain. We've gotten all this flowers and we've got the super bloom going on everywhere. And you're all, you know what? Fire season's coming. And all of those things that were sprouted up in that season of growth can just as quickly turn brown. What was once an asset now can become a liability. And so that's basically what he's saying, like, you know, what you have right now can be gone in a second. As soon as the sun comes out and bakes it, it's dead. So don't put yourself and your worth in this position. It'll turn, it'll become, it'll fade away is what it says. And it means it'll become worth nothing. So we build for the future. We all value that. We know that building for the future is really important but this is building for the greater future. And so if we're just building for the future on Earth, we can be just as unwise in regards to eternity. And you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. So what's the deceptive idea here? If you don't have societal status or riches, you're worthless. That's deception. Because what And then what does that lead into? What's the destructive behavior? gain status, riches, and attention by whatever means necessary. If you believe that to be true, then you're gonna, you're gonna get, get it by whatever means necessary. If that is the end goal, you're gonna find out, you're gonna figure out a way. I'm gonna get to this place. I will keep up with the Joneses. I will find out how. No matter what it takes, I'll get there. Even if it means I lie, cheat, steal, and knock down my best friend to get there. Ideas are dangerous, because ideas, as we're going to look at in a second, ideas become actions way quicker than we think. But what's the truth? The truth is that that is not where our status lies. Where the truth is we're called to invest in eternity, where we receive a crown that does not fade away. We're called to store up treasures in heaven where there's no thieves, there's no moth, and there's no rust to be a factor This is freedom. Like, doesn't that sound good? Freedom. Like, Lord, this, the rest is in your hands. I, I'm building for something greater. My life right here, it's, 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 it's just, I'm a vessel. There's the, there's the day you're born, the the day you die, and this is what we have. And we're gonna look back, I believe we'll look back to some, some extent in eternity and be able to see, like, what, what did I do what the resources given to me for the kingdom of God to, to, to receive rewards that are eternal, that really matter. What's the stuff that really, really matters? Verse 12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life with which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How happy is the man who endures testing? He's been tested and he's been approved. And now he's got this lasting crown. Instead of the passing away, there's like lasting effect. This this is the same. This is the treasures. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Um, First of all, it's important to understand God can't be tempted because he's good. And he, in him is light and there's no darkness at all. So it's understanding who God is. It's really important to understand he is not doing anything evil or mean. God is in the process of restoration. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk in a second here about what the world that we're living in is and how God is meeting us and corresponding with all of that to, uh, to, to uh, show us how that he is so good and kind, and gracious, and merciful in the middle of it all. So how happy is this man that is able to receive this? And then that when you're saying, I'm tempted, saying I'm not tempted by God. So don't say God is making this happen to me. He's not making evil happen. He's the definition of good and love. He's able to use these hard seasons for good, certainly. And I think that, that there's, a, there's a nuance in the word test, tempt. Um, where God is is using our faith to test us to show us what it is capable of. This is this is the idea. We use this a lot. It's like even like product testing. Like, can this actually work? Does the chair that I made actually hold or not? You know, the barbecue. When we have the barbecue chairs, you're like they they're tested. If you sit in them and they start folding, you know, like this one is no good. It's 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 gone. It's got spaghetti legs. It was here and now it's not, you know, like it was, it was good in its season, it's no longer worth it. So I'm gonna sit in it and, and then we'll know. And then I can rest assured when people are sitting in it, it would be good to go. So God's the definition of good. Darkness was awakened in humanity when we chose to make Satan the ruler of the world by aligning with him. Um, and it was immediately into the blame game. Uh, basically the idea is there's a real war going on right now in all of us and if we ignore it then we're, we're just blind. We, we can't see. We're, we're fighting against um, you know, something that we can't see which does not turn out well. You're swinging and there's no one there. You know? I've seen these funny things um, on social media. You'll see these guys with like a blindfold and then their friends have you seen this they have like chickens attached to their feet have you seen it like the rubber the ones that make noise and someone has a belt and they're like trying to hit their friends and their friends have these chickens so they're trying to move and they're hiding but then when they move it's like and they're like whack and just like you can hear them running across the room you know it's terrible but it's really entertaining and and uh, one of them in particular, this one guy is just getting worked. And he finally goes and there's there's guys standing in the windowsill. And he goes and squeaks it, theirs. Because he's, he's like, you're going to take this. I can't do it anymore. So he starts squeaking theirs. They're like, oh, there's someone here. Whack. And then there's like, ah, freaking out. But it, it, initially, when you can't hear any squeaking, you just see people going like this. just, And it's the goofiest looking thing, right? You're like, that is just... But so when we're talking about what we're dealing with, the, the battle that we're facing, it's important to understand what we're up against. And um, categorically or like uh, in the past, we've, we've, this is how historically, I should say, we, it's been viewed, the battle. It's, it's the world. We're dealing with the world, the flesh and the devil. And um, so it's kind of like an unholy trinity, so to speak. Um, And usually, just like the Trinity, some are emphasized more than others. But we are dealing with the devil who is constantly working to deceive and to put thoughts into our mind and to get us to— his name is the accuser—to shame us and to manipulate us, to take things into our own hands— it awakens the flesh. What's the flesh? That's something you can't necessarily blame the devil for. It's in you. The flesh is your desires, your displaced desires that are out of order, yours and mine. And then that, as, as these become more norm because we wanna make them norm, and now I want to start dictating what is right and wrong and what is good and evil, then the world starts catering to that, that system. So we're dealing with it, it's, it's, it's like tiered. One, the devil, you'd say, on a personal uh, outside effect. Then it speaks to our fleshly desires that make us go, that actually does sound good. And then it leads to a whole economy of depravity. We see it really well that in the origins of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, We're actually going to go into that real quick here. Genesis 3, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I'm forming a question. What did he say to you? And the woman responds to the serpent. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the very day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we have the devil instilling doubt, making you wonder, He's got the woman questioning everything at this point, right? He's got Eve thinking like, I don't even know what's true. He told me that, but you're right. I guess I haven't thought about if he's holding out on me and he doesn't want me to have what's... Even though everything would speak to a benevolent God who's kind and and caring and compassionate and has taken care of everything, there's now been this doubt in her. The serpent plants the doubt and... What does it do? Awakens the desires of the flesh. Now the woman is the standard instead of God because she has a desire. Desires of the flesh are are now considered quite normal and even good if we want it bad enough. Like, okay, now my desires have been awakened and why do I have a desire anyway if it's not meant to be fulfilled in every way I possibly want to fulfill it? So, you know, and then of course the world backs that up. It would be unnatural for you not to fulfill all your desires. But like, seriously, that's insane. Cause you're like, do you know what my desires are sometimes? Like, it's, you go, the, not good. We all know that. You know, like if, if it's like, if you were to fulfill all your desires when someone cuts you off in the road and you're like, oh, I just wanna run them off the road. You're like, oh, that is gonna go to jail forever. Like, but if you, if you desire, I desire this. I sense this. I want this, Was it leads to. But this is the battleground. This is what we're dealing with. Verse six, though. So when the women saw, here she is, saw that the tree was good for food, she's now at the point where her flesh is ruling and she's become God in her own mind. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the tre- Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said... Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The results are catastrophic. They're now exposed. They're now na- they realize they're naked. Their response is now to hide. They can't be vulnerable like they were before in that sense. They're now, they, they're, they, they hide. And then what? They blame shift. They blame shift. And they look, who can I blame this on? So when you're, when you're dealing with stuff, you, you know, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. And that's where people go with it. God, why did you do this to me? And you're like, First of all, you did this to you. Or the sin did this to you. God is in the process of meeting you in that thing. Because God is, he's more concerned about eternity than he is right here. And He's made that very clear. Like it, from the very beginning, what is the church founded on? It's not founded on your best life now. Of course, God blesses. And he, and he wants us to be fruitful. But the, that fruit is not, It's not earthly riches, like we think of it. It's 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 eternity values. It's that we get to live and use our life for the utmost for His kingdom, for the call that He's put on all of us. So, they're blame shifting. And so, what's the 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 church? Why is this being written? Because people are saying God is doing this to us. Blame shifting. Every time you have have kids, someone gets in trouble. They made me do it. Or the reason I hit them was because you would hit them too if they took your toy. This, This sister, this brother you gave to me is the reason. You're married. This spouse you gave to me is the reason. You have no idea how hard this is or whatever, right? Everybody has something place I live this car whatever so we justify all of it as long as we have someone to blame the opposite is what we're really called to do is the first John one principle and I bring this up a lot because I love it so much and I think it's the key if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, I know Jocko has made this a, uh, um, you know, a thing, but extreme ownership. The, the, I mean, if you want to look at something that can make your Christian life uh, flourish quickly, actually your whole life, extreme ownership. Um, don't look for the angle to become a victim. Look for the angle to own it and go, this is on me. And go like, this is my problem. There's a lot of things, that, they did this, they did this. It's like, but I, but I, have a, I have a really bad heart about that. Like there's, there's some things that, that weren't good about that, but my heart is jacked up right now about that person. I I'm, do not look at them with love. I'm not into it. So all of those excuses in the world doesn't change the fact that I'm in a really bad place. And so what do I do? I own what I can own. And that's the idea here is, that's repent, come clean. It, by the way, is God, like, confused as to where Adam and Eve are? Hey, Adam, where are you? Where have you been, man? Like, and, and whatever Adam says is going to be, like, such a good answer that God's like, all right, cool, that checks out, that checks out. Anyways, I'm going to go on walking anymore. By the way, I like the leaf underwear. <laughs> right? I never thought about that. All the creation, and I didn't think about that. What is happening? No, he's he's asking him a question. Why does he? Why is he asking him this question? He's looking for ownership. He's looking for Adam to go. I've sinned against you, God. Uh, I I have sinned against you. I've made. I ate the fruit. I knew the. I knew the cost, and I did it anyway. And then he goes to the woman. And he says, so what, what happened? And he's looking for her to repent. Right? Because what happens when you repent? You're free. Uh, not this winter camp, the one before. It probably happened this winter camp too. But um, I preached a message on, on that. On that. Yeah, I just sensed the Lord was doing that. That, that God wanted to set the youth free. From, from sin and shame and guilt, and the way to do it was going to be extreme ownership. This is this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. This is what I've been concealing and hiding and trying to make this funky underwear for to cover, and it's not working, and I'm miserable, and I'm blaming everyone around me, and no one... Is, and you know what happens? They come, and they they would come, and they would... They would come to you and tell you what's going on in their life, and you would be like, we get, the leaders would be like, we get it. We, you know, we get it. We know. We know how this struggle and the fight. And we say, there's, repent, there's, there's forgiveness in Jesus. And he can wipe that slate clean. And you see a burdened child leave alive. And they're better at it than we are. I'd say over half the camp did it. It was like the worship went on for like over an hour. It was like heavy. The room was just like, you could feel it. And there's people being free because there was extreme ownership being taken. To a generation, don't blame them, they're growing up in it. To a generation that has been told, the more you're a victim, the, the better you are. The more you're a victim, the more cards you have to hold. This is, is calling you out to you know you're, you're, you're going to own it. And when you own it, you'll be free. God wants us to experience that same thing. You say you, say you haven't sinned. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. But you have. You have a way. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unbelievable. verse 14 but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death the world the flesh the devil the devil tempts the flesh the fleshly desire the flesh desires and it's easily enticed the world represents that fallen state and normalizes it sets a standard that views its refusal as odd. This is the world we live in. By the way, it's the world we've always lived in. So there's a disconnect from the world we live in. The destructive behaviors become untouchable. Like you can't touch that. That's, That's mine. I deserve it. The wisdom of God seems foolish to darken hearts. Proverbs, Psalms, all over the place. We shouldn't be surprised. This is the reign of death. Because what is, what is the end? The desires, okay, when someone's tempted, they're drawn away what? By his own what? Desires, and is, how are you enticed? It's something you want. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Like I thought about it, now I'm doing it. And when it's full grown, like when it's matured, it brings forth death. You wanna know the end? One side, it's the crown of life that doesn't fade. Like eternity, something that matters for all of eternity that you're gonna be able to look back on. The other side, death. The promise uh, of good to those who resist the current temptation, to those who trust in, in uh, the wisdom of God over the destructive, uh, destructive wisdom of the world, they're gonna see that all those lies come, it just takes time. Like, I feel like we live in this world where we go, oh, no, there's a destructive idea. And you're like, well, then in time, it's gonna just absolutely fall apart. And it does, because it promises all these, everything promises something. And then it comes to fruition. You go, oh, that's what we were sowing? Because this is what we've reaped. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, yes. Drug, the idea of drug away is, uh, it's like lust or craving. It's like in there. The believing of, uh, you know, that my, my cravings or my lusts need to be fulfilled all the time. If, if that was the case, you would never eat healthy, we go into go eat junk every single meal. You'd never do anything you didn't want to do. Verse 15, then when desire is fully conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin is full grown, it brings forth death. It's normalized, it's taken over. It's brought to completion. That's the idea when it's full grown. It's, brought, it's completion is death, but God has a, has a better way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That should be reassuring. I think that's one of the big things when you, when you talk with people who are struggling and as they find out, whoa, we're all in this together. Whoa, none of this is uncommon. Whoa, okay, kind of the same thing, a little bit of a different application, but we're all in the same, same battle, the same war. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. His goal and his heart is that we would, be, uh, that we would make it through, that, he, that we would see him through it. So he's never putting up a wall where there's no way around it and he's trapping us. That's the idea of a bad God who does not love us and is intent on evil. No, he makes a way. Even in the midst of temptation, he makes a way of escape as we choose to honor him. So what's the deceptive idea of this section that God tempts us? All desires are good and I deserve to get what I want. That's a deceptive idea. What's the destructive behavior that follows that idea? We blow through all the stop signs of scriptural wisdom and wise voices. We shut off everything but ourselves. We blame everyone but ourselves and seek to set up a new system where we can do whatever we want because we're the mayor of this town or the king or the God. But what's the truth? God wants us to take ownership for our distorted desires of the flesh. He wants us to confess our falling into sin and alignment with the world. And he wants to cleanse us and, and in doing so, bring us to a place of humility And honesty that makes us so, like uh, uh, such a breath of fresh air to the world around us. These trials, they reveal what is off. It's like that stress test. It shows what's missing. Shows what's lacking and how we need him so much more. And the good news of the gospel is, That's exactly why he died. None of this is surprising to him. Just like God wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve fell, he's not surprised that you fall. He sees it all and knows it all. He's also, he he can discern what's going on in your heart before you even said it or maybe even fully thought it. Wild. This is not the God you can conceal from and you were never meant to. So we come and we confess our sins we lay it all down before him and go, Lord, here it all is. Not that you don't know it, but here it is. Free me. Do not be deceived, verse 16, my beloved brethren. Don't be led astray, basically. So he's pleading with them. Verse 17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God doesn't send destructive tests. He sends good things. He's even able to send good things during the destructive tests and use them for good. Every good and mature, that's a perfect gift, part of the process, complete, lacking nothing, he's able to make valuable steps in our life and help us to really get what's going on and see the world for what it is. He can use all of that because he's the good God that gives us good gifts. He's light. There's no darkness in him. He does not change. He does not have a shadow. What we're talking about when we're talking about the flesh is the shadow side. We have a shadow. We have what people see, and we have the other part that people don't see. What's cool about the home groups is you get to like, let people in a little bit more on the shadow. <laughs> I say that in, like in a good sense of like, Here's the real thing. Here's what I'm really dealing with. Here's where I'm really struggling. God is light. There's no shadow. He does not change. So saying, did God really say? It's like he didn't change. The world changes its opinions constantly. And it has a purpose of appeasing the ever-changing masses. I mean, it's crazy what can be bought into but we need a standard like a true north to know where we're going and why we're going that direction. So we recognize him as love and good. Verse 18, the last verse here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of his creatures. So you want proof that he's good and that he loves us? Out of his own will, he birthed us to new life. And the message of Jesus, through the person and the message of the cross. You want to know that God's good and that God loves you. Look at the cross. It's, it's it's there for you to see. You want to know that the world is not out to help you. Look at what's what's reaped. Look at what's sown. Look at what's reaped. Look at look at the destruction and and uh, oh I forget the name of it. But there's 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 a quote or a, there's a name for it's like chronological snobbery where we always think we're better than the generation before us because we've accumulated more like knowledge as a whole, like Google, you know? Like I can find a lot of things out really fast with Google. But, but it's with that, there's come a thinking uh, and a perception that we're smarter than people were, you know, 500 years ago. And it's not true or that we know more. Now, there's some things where you go, well, that was kind of way wild and off and where God's working through some of that stuff. But like, there, there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, we underutilize our brains. Do you remember when you used to have everyone's phone number memorized? How many numbers do you know now? You know, you're probably still your friends. That's it, I could, actually, I do. I just thought of my friend's Kevin's number which is wild. I'm going to call, it's his parents' house. I'm going to call him today. Hey, just to let you know, I still got this number memorized. <laughs> I remember my grandmas. I remember my aunts. I remember my parents. That's probably it. And my, oh, Of course, my wife, the church. Uh, also emergency, <laughs> <laughs> 911. But yeah, good to know. I'm glad, yeah, good to know. Although, you know, I'll tell you what, one time we had, we thought we had an emergency with Violet and I, almost dialed 991, because when you start freaking out, stuff gets a little cl- cloudy. You're like, ah, 991, hello? It was good, we didn't need to go anyway, so <laughs> saved me whatever $900 or whatever it would have cost. But we think that we know better and we don't. And so we look at the cumulative work of the world and we look around us and we go, it's not, get, It's in all of our great intellect, what are we creating? Better in some ways, worse in others. So we have to be thinking, what are, what, what, is it, what are we reaping? What are we sowing? Look at what God has done. Look at how do you value what, like what really matters. Uh, find out the people who really care about you. He does. So he's brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the logos or logos. This is the message of the gospel, the word. That we be, might be a kind of first fruits, the first fruits of the full restoration, the first fruits of what God has started, and the beginning of the kingdom age, and will continue until it's all made brand new. We're the first fruits. So you want to know values wise in the world? You'll be valued as long as you're useful, and as soon as you're not, you're gone. As soon as you cross anything we believe, you're out. With God, he sees all the mess and all the gnarliness and he says, that's the one I'm gonna restore. That's gonna be my workmanship. That's gonna be the first fruits of what I'm gonna do with everything else. Watch this. So it shows you how much he loves us and cares about us and thinks about us and how worthy he is to fully trust. Again, this also could refer to uh, the first fruits—it could be multiple things—dealing with the fact that these are largely Jewish uh, audience. They could be the first fruits of what God has started and done, but um, it would obviously be extended to the Gentiles either way. I think it works in both senses, um, but yeah. So, last section: What's the deceptive idea? God must not be good if he—if there's things in life that hurt us, uh, we must. Um, now be the standard to find what is good and evil if God isn't trustworthy. So the destructive behavior, we become gods of our own life and are free to justify any behavior we want. We walk in active rebellion towards God and we live in the shadows. But the truth is God is good. He loves us, we're his workmanship, we're his first fruits of redemption. He desires to give us good and perfect gifts Fit just for us. He does not turn or change. He has no shadow side. So if there's any turning, it's us, not him. So what's our response is to fully surrender to the one who deeply knows us and deeply loves us. To repent, to change our mind, and with it, our direction about where we look for truth. And where we look for value, and where we look for, for uh, wealth and riches, and figure out what kingdom we invest in, instead of having minds that lead leading to destruction, we have minds leading to life and spiritual flourishing, both for ourselves, and then we become ambassadors to everyone else around us. Isn't that good? What a good God that meets us in the hardest. Times and blesses us and meets us and, and, and works through us and knows us, and yet he still loves us and desires to make his love known to the world and so that they can t- partake in it too. Receivers, of the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for this, this truth, Lord, and... Um, we know we are so prone to believe deceptive ideas, both by the devil, or actually all by the devil, um, by our flesh, and by the world, and how easy it is to succumb to those ideas and to let it bloom and grow into, you know, destructive behaviors that ultimately, I mean, the end goal and the end, the natural end is death. But you confront us with your truth and with your love, with your grace that confounds the wise of this age, that cuts to the heart of the issues, that takes away the status of the world and gives us a whole new status in you, a new life a new hope, a new standing. So, Lord, we thank you that that's all waiting for us. And a lot of times, literally, you just want us to come before you and confess the gnarly stuff going on in our own lives, the stuff that we've been holding it back, and we think we've been kind of keeping the shadow quiet and faking it well. You, you already know it all to the core. You actually know, like, the desires that turn into uh, into the thoughts that turn into the, all of it. You know all of it. And you desire to free us from that. So we're no longer captive and, and we are not victim to a, the ransom of uh, you know, guilt and shame because you already took on all of that, the cross despising the shame. You took on the guilt of the world. And so that now we're free. We put on Christ, we're now free. And so Lord, help us to live like free people. So we love you, God. We thank you, God. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.